applause before we even got going. That's awesome. Happy WOMAD, everyone. I'm Tori Shepherd. I'm the political editor from The Advertiser. And we have here, I think you're listed as communications gurus, the two of you. <laughs> Dean Madigan and Jane Caro. And you're right, it's not a dog. But the only thing that I've ever thought could make WOMAD even better than it already is would be if there were dogs, but we just have the first dog on the moon over here, Andrew Martin. <laughs> So now that we're all sitting around feeling a little bit stinky hot, we're going to talk about climate change and we're going to talk about how you actually pitch that message because we haven't done very well so far, have we? We have not managed to get that message across. We are not doing anything substantial on climate change. So we're going to have a talk about how these guys would fix the world if they were the benevolent dictators that we probably need. <laughs> Alrighty, let's start, let's start, Dee. Does this work? Yeah. What's going on with the PR and the messaging around climate change? What's going wrong? Um, well, I think when you shelve an ETS policy after saying it's the greatest moral challenge of our time, oddly enough, the public start to distrust politicians' messages. When you, won't, when you say there'll be no climate tax under a government I lead, we start to distrust the message. When Tony Abbott says climate change is crap... So what's happened is, you know, it's been so politicised that people have tuned out. I think, and also partly, um, it's so scary that we tune out a little bit as well. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, so how do you motivate people to start changing it, Jane? Well, I mean, there's lots of case studies in advertising about how you can change behaviour but it's not something advertising on its own can do. So, for example, um, if you think about random risk testing, which is the best single um, case study on how we change behaviour in society um, for the better, we spent about 20 years running copious numbers of ads that said, don't drink and drive, don't drink and drive, this is what happens if you drink and drive, it's really bad for you to drink and drive. And they would do research groups and they'd say to people in their research groups, should you drink and drive? They'd all go, oh, no, 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 you definitely shouldn't drink and drive. Do you drink and drive? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's I think the there were some guilty laughs out there. Yeah. Oh, I definitely <laughs> did. Um, and, and that's the problem with human beings. We can hold an idea as true, but it doesn't change our behaviour. What changed behaviour was actually governments bringing in random breath testing. And the random part of it was very important because you actually didn't know when you get to court, so that meant that everybody changed their behaviour. And they really did. It was dramatically successful, remains successful. The number of people who drink and drive, it's not zero, but it's a bloody sight less than it used to be. And I think um, the other one for that is seatbelts as well. Like, you'd think that telling people they're going to die if they, you know, don't wear a seatbelt would have been enough. It's not. With all things, you need the carrot and the stick, the carrot being it will save your life, the stick is you're going to get a really big fine if you don't. Yeah, and what we lack in the climate change debate, particularly in Australia, is any commitment to a stick. So I think that I'm not as pessimistic about the messaging. I think, you know, most people, it ebbs and flows a bit, but most people are concerned about man-made climate change. But... Nothing has occurred to make us change our behaviour. Can I just, just quickly, with the road accident thing, because it's a really good analogy. With um, In the 1990s, um, Victoria used to do these fantastic um, ads that all the creatives wanted to work on because you could win lots of awards, and it was, these, it was to stop young guys killing themselves by speeding. They were fantastic. They were so graphic. And after a while, though, they realised that they didn't work because young guys, bizarrely, are uniquely unmotivated by fear of death because they literally think it won't happen to them. Tell them they've got a small penis and they're listening. Um, <laughs> 
but what happened was there was no flow on effect to the rest of public as well because you'd start watching these ads and you think you kind of see what's going to happen and you almost put your hands over your eyes and that's when we realised that fear, um, too much fear in an ad can be a very bad thing. So is there a perfect spot then between the, you know, the carrot and the stick and the fear and the hope? Uh, th there is. Um, unfortunately, the news doesn't help us. Even when the news does stories on climate change, it does catastrophe stories. And a lot of people who are already, you know, you know, know that climate change is real will see it and go, yes, it's real. But a lot of people go, oh, God, that is, that's too scary to deal with as well. So catastrophe actually doesn't help the message either. So we were sitting backstage before with Dog here and Dog said, we're all going to die. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because it's true. Yeah. <laughs> How do your pictures feed into it? I mean, they, a cartoon of yours has more information in it than, you know, ten articles I might have written that week. How do you think pictures can help sell a message? Well, I'm not sure they can. Um, I, Come I on, you've got to keep your job. Well, hang on, I've, I've, I'll give you an example. Here's one I prepared earlier. This is can, can you hear him? Ian the climate denialist potato. Ian the climate change denialist potato. He looks like Peter Dutton. <laughs> oh, this, oh, this is the best present ever. Um, so Ian is a, is a character I came up with about 12 months ago. Um, we turned him into a plush toy. And yet climate change is still a problem. So... <laughs> I'm, I'm, How can that be? Well, so I'm, <laughs> How is Ian not solved this? Ian I'm, magic. I'm a little disappointed in, in all of you. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think we're possibly asking the wrong question. I mean, advertising and, and bringing, bringing the, the whole community, the nation around is, is, is obviously important. But um, the, the nation thinks a lot of things are important and the government doesn't do them. Um, and the nation voted Tony Abbott to be the Prime Minister. And so uh, we're all going to die. <laughs> I mean, really, what are we going to do? We're going to... We, we, the direct action is our, our current policy in, this, in, in, in Australia. Um, everybody, nobody believes it to be effective or useful. It's a political... I mean, climate change is a political beach ball. Um, there's a better analogy. I can't think of it right now. And, and so the... Um, I mean, I think we were talking about it before. It's not going to be the government that, that does something about climate change. And it's, it needs to be us. And by us, I mean you. Um, but the thing that's really going to fix climate change is the fact that people will figure out that they can make money out of it. All right? So solar power, wind turbines, coal is bad, uh, solar is good. When you can make a lot of money out of it and then... Fucking capitalism will save us, and I'm not happy about that at all. But it's, it's true, the last climate... The, the summit that's just been, been on overseas in France, whatever, for the first time, business was heavily involved in it, and that means the debate will start to work because there is money to be made. And the, reason, and the reason for that, I'm here to tell you, is China. And that's actually communism solving climate change because China has uh, dictated that, what? you know... Who was the commie you just clapped? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stand up and be identified. <laughs> Erica Betts and George Brandis want to know all about you. Um, but China, because China is the biggest market, because it's growing, because of all of that, when China says it's going to take climate caps and climate change and, all, and you know, um, carbon trading schemes and things like that seriously, that means business will and that means inevitably all the governments will.
Hey, but Ian was made in China, by the way, yeah. for all your information. Yay, China. <laughs> I we, think though originally we tried. we tried to sell the business case re too early and we sort of said we want to be ahead of the pack and everyone's like, whoa, whoa, no, we don't. What, you know, what, we want to wait for the rest of the world and now the rest of the world is doing it. There's a business case to sort of argue with. Do you think everyone said that or do you think the fossil people with lots of money invested in fossil fuels I, sus I suspect that. it may be them. Yeah. I, I think that's a big part of the issue is that it's broader than climate change, even though that's pretty broad. Um, but it's the fact that the governments are beholden to their, their shareholders who are fossil fuel companies and... Um and, oh, you, you, you can laugh, but it's true. I know I sound like a We've conspiracy... We've all got our super in fossil fuel companies as well, yeah, so, again... Uh, you know, I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but... Um, but I'm right. Thank you. No, it's, again, it's George funny Brandis because George Brandis wants true. your name too. Yes. Yeah. That just came from a chemtrail out there somewhere. <laughs> so, there's some really interesting research about how you debunk... Um, conspiracy theories and most of it shows that it's really hard uh, and also that you can reinforce those wrong beliefs just by arguing against them. Have you guys ever changed somebody's mind about climate change? No, and it's actually, it's, been, it's a proven study they've done. It's called the backfire effect. And what happens is when you argue facts to someone who has a, 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 you know established position on something, when they're hearing you, they're refuting your facts in their mind. So what happens is they're further entrenched. And what we have to do, you get all the time people say, if, if you just give people the facts, they'll change their mind. Facts do not change people's minds. They are disappointingly ineffective and so there's just no point to trying. What changes people's um, minds is emotion. And there's certain people whose minds we're not going to change. And if we keep trying to change their minds, we just end up getting ourselves upset and nothing changes. What you have to do is go for, in advertising we call it the low-hanging fruit. You know, the people who you've got a chance with. And the way to do that is emotion because we make purchasing decisions emotionally, whether it's to buy a product or support a cause. And if you can get people to feel, you can get them to do. Facts do not make people feel. And, and this is one of the problems with the way we've been promoting climate change for a very long time because it's been generally scientists who have been, you know, at the forefront of, you know, really getting more and more concerned, understandably, about the fact that the facts are not getting across. And scientists, of course, are people who deal with facts, with provable evidence. And so they have been completely gobsmacked, I think, by the way that has failed to actually really make very much traction at all, which doesn't mean you don't need to put the facts. You need to have the facts because that gives people who believe that climate change is man-made and therefore man can do something about it, ammunition to defend their case. So they need to have that so that they feel confident in a discussion and argument that they're armed with the things they need to say. But also because even though you might not change... I mean, as, as Dog put it this morning um, while we were talking about this, you know, your, your fascist uncle at Christmas, you might, while you may not change his mind, there's a whole lot of other people at the table who may not have a, a particularly strong view one way or the other, and you can change them. So it's not to say the facts are unnecessary, but in the end, there's only two emotions that make people change their behaviour, and that they are hope and fear. And the reason they're the only two is because they're the two future-oriented emotions. When you look at the future with a sense of anticipation and excitement, you've got hope. When you look at the there's future... There's never been a more exciting time. Yeah. Yet, did that work? I don't I think like it saying it. it. Yeah. And then fear, of course, is looking at the future with a sense of dread. And at the moment, I think, we're in a very anxious period of time. People have a strong, heavy sense of fear. What we need to do, I think, 
to advance this is actually increase our hope. And can I, um, there was something you said before that was really interesting, which is that you've read a whole lot of articles on those things, but first dogs, cartoons cut through. Because visuals are actually... Sit here and talk about dog for the rest well, of the we, session. We could, we could do that, Visuals right? work better than we words. Like we learned this in advertising. Up until about the 1960s, most ads were these beautiful long copy ads. And then they realised that um, the more time people spend thinking about things, the more less likely they were to buy them. Um, which is why most ads nowadays are p pictorial, because images work differently than words and they actually circumvent critical thought and they become truth in your mind even if they're not. So if you really want to get emotion happening, you use pictures, not words. So, Dog, is that a conscious thing for you about what message you're trying to get across? Um, it's certainly... I've noticed that... I didn't start out deliberately um, trying to emotionally manipulate people, but it's, it's really quite fun. It's what um, you're the Walkley. And, but the thing is, uh, the, the, I, mean, the car, I mean, they are just cartoons, and I, I, it's, so it's fantastic that people like them as much as they do. Um, but it is, it is, it's a talking dog and, um, or a, a bandicoot or whatever it is, and you can't really argue with it because as soon as someone takes issue with something I put in one of the cartoons, I always cheat and I just say, well, you know, I'm a cartoonist, so what do you expect? But you're arguing with something that a, uh, that a dog has said and <laughs> it's, it, you, you, you've lost, you've already lost. Is if this you... Jared Henderson's theory no. with his Nancy as <laughs> I, well? I don't know, I, I, I don't know. I did actually, you know, that's another story, I won't tell that one. But, um, I think but, we want know, that story, we'll come back to the, that. The, the potato is, is great because he is a climate denialist and it gives me an opportunity to mock um, climate denialist in the, in the gentlest possible way because he's a really, he's a lovely fellow um, and he's, he's, he's in love with Greg Hunt and, um, <laughs> and it, it's a lot of fun and I, I mean... Is he secretly P Peter Dutton? No, oh, no, okay. that would be a Brussels sprout. Um, but I... <laughs> but I... And it would be great. I, I mean, look, people do say to me, I, 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 I had a young woman come up to me the other day at a thing I was doing and she said, I'm the only one of my friends uh, in my, my group who, who is politically interested in stuff at all and I get a lot of political information from your cartoons, which is wonderful and terrifying because, <laughs> I mean, I, I get all my... Oh, I get my information from people like... Like uh, Jane and 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 Dee and and Tori and well not That's not not News Corp terrifying. sorry uh, but other no <laughs> I read a lot of people at the Guardian um, and then I take those things and I put them in the cartoons with the funny pictures and people people read them and if they learn stuff that's fantastic I'm more I'm I would be great if I if I was motivating people to go and 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 read the people that I'm reading to get those facts and I do I make up a lot of it as well anyway. Yeah. Have you ever changed someone's mind, though, that you know of? Uh, I think I've educated people accidentally. Because this is the danger, isn't I it, think that I've we all sit around preaching to the converted? Yeah. yeah, there is actually nothing wrong with preaching to the converted. Vast majority I, I of make a living out of it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Vast majority of advertisers are preaching to the converted. And the reason it's really important to do that is because everybody's trying to convert them. So if you don't keep preaching to them they go off and believe something else. So you always have to keep reassuring your core users or your core believers that they're right, they're oh, right, Bronnie's they're coming. right. Sorry. Yeah, that's Brandis. 
Um, and, you know, that so preaching to the converted is not something we, we should scorn. It's very important. Well, I do um, election campaigns, so usually our target audience is always So the it's your fault. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yes, it is my fault. I have... Well, I, I do it for the Labor Party, though, so it's not entirely my fault. So it is your fault. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so, so my target audience isn't the converted, because usually you're doing it on um, a really small budget, so you actually can't afford to waste money advertising to Labor voters or to rust it on Liberal voters. It's identifying swinging voters. And people always say, oh, I hate negative ads. Why do you do them? It's like, because they work. Um, swinging voters are more likely to vote against something than for something because they're not swinging because they're deciding who they're swinging. They're actually disengaged entirely. And negative stuff gets people's um, attention more easily than positive stuff. You know, if you go on the news site in the morning, obviously not News Corp because that's apparently bad. Um, you click on the bad stuff before you do it on the good stuff. That's, we're just hardwired to notice negativity. So, so um, when you're doing marketing campaigns, you know, using a bit of negativity is not a bad way to do it, but it can't be sort of, you know, you're all going to die, drone sort of stuff. It has to have something that's a little bit more engaging, a bit of hope in there as well. But starting, starting negative isn't a bad way. One of the, I guess one of the big things that happened in that climate change debate was, uh, for example, South Australian Tim Flannery made a lot of predictions that were quite specific and so that, that becomes fuel the other way. So is specificity a problem? It gives the other side something really concrete to argue against. That's, that's the problem. And... and Again, it's using facts. It's dangerous. <laughs> facts are dangerous, people. You heard it here first. And yeah, yet... You can, you, you can say... Oh, well, there's a lot of... I mean, people make up a lot of facts, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, uh, I think Tony... Tony is really good at just creating facts out of, out of pretty much... Well, anyway. Um, and that's... I mean, like you said before, facts no longer have, have much relevance. Um, and I think that was always one of my concerns... Because, um, I mean, my cartoons are mainly about feelings, but I have all this despair about... I was waiting. I've been waiting for years now for someone to... for the adults, the proper adults, to turn up and get everyone in trouble for ignoring the facts. And, you know, it's not going to be the press gallery who do it. I mean, the black helicopters from the United Nations could come and do it. Anybody just come and hold one politician to account for making shit up. Just one. We do, we do have ABC fact check. Which is interesting to people who care about accuracy and facts, but that's a small percentage of the population and that's, that's the problem. I don't think facts are irrelevant, but I think you've got to use them in the full knowledge that they are a support to people who are already deciding to change or to, um, you know, argue and become an advocate for doing something on climate change. And that's an important thing and we need more and more of those. So I'm, I'm not throwing facts in the, in the bin, but you just simply have to understand their limitations in terms of bringing people around to your side of the argument. Um, I mean, in the end, specificity... I can't say that word. Being specific... There you go. <laughs> being specific is very important for people to understand what you're talking about because we can't actually get abstract concepts. We actually need something concrete and specific to hang on to. So I do understand why Tim Flannery did what he did. And the, that's the problem with climate change. That's why it's a wicked problem because it is very hard for it to be, you know, as easy as if you drink and drive, here are statistics on how many accidents that causes. That's a very concrete, specific thing to communicate. This is a much more wicked problem than that. If you don't stop driving your car, Tuvalu will go under. 
Yeah. Yeah, but, but, but I don't think climate change necessarily is... I mean, it's a terrible problem, but the problem was that when we started talking about it and the fossil fuel lobbyists got involved and Rupert Murdoch got involved, you know, present company accepted, obviously... Um, the, they, just they, maintaining silence. In well, the <laughs> it was this. This um, they they didn't win the argument on facts. They just won. They just took the they took the ground. And so there was a requirement. I'm, I'm not sure whether it was a formal requirement, but climate denialists, in spite of the facts, got 50% of the airtime, um, and 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 they get all, all, all that coverage when it's complete verifiably proven garbage and yet we're all in the thrall of of um of this notion of editorial fairness um which was created specifically you know it was the editorial fairness is important when they're trying to argue that climate change isn't real but not when you know i mean the, the we all know the abc is a a, a a coven of terrible leftists. Yeah, it was a comedy you clapped before, right? Eh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so the it's it's about climate change, but it's about all the different you know conversations we need to have as a nation. Or, or it's the term debate, the climate change debate. You know, all of a sudden, it makes it sound like there are two sides when there isn't, yeah. or there and shouldn't be. And the other thing is, the 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 group that have been most intimidated by the pushback are actually the climate change lobby themselves. Because I've heard ridiculous high figures bandied about, and I won't quote them because I'm not sure they're true, but they have been bandied about, as to how much money has been spent supposedly on messaging about climate change and the urgency of climate change in Australia. And yet I see very little of it. And the problem is that they're trying to find the magic key, the perfect message that will miraculously change everyone's minds. Those messages do not exist. What would be much better is if all sorts of groups sent out all sorts of messages some better, some worse, all basically saying the same thing. People, this is real, this is urgent, we need to do something about it. And the sheer magnitude of getting lots and lots and lots and lots of messages sends the... Most people won't remember the content of even one of those, but what they will be left with is, oh, my God, a lot of people are really worried about this, maybe we should do something about it. But instead, by looking for the one perfect... We're not saying anything. Although I, th I think that the one thing, though, that's really, really important in the messaging is to say, if we do this, this will help. And I think yes. that's really essential. Because I think part of the argument, even people who believe in it, believe there's nothing we can do. And if you say, look, if we do this, emissions will come down by this much, or if we do this, this will happen. You know, we want to see that what we're going to do is going to have a result. Mm. All right, so look, at, at my peril, I'm going to go back to the media coverage thing because there was an interesting, I guess it was a debate about uh, anti-vaxxers within the media. So at one stage, we did this false sense of balance thing where, oh, if you're doing a pro-vaccination story, you toddle off and get an anti-vaxxer. But that, that changed, you mm -hmm. know, and we went, it's bunkum, let's not do that anymore, mostly. Um, do you think there... Is, do you have any hope that that's what will cha happen with climate change in the media? Depends who's controlling the media. <laughs> so, so, so <laughs> I'm not going to have a go at Murdoch, but no, not while Murdoch's alive. There, there wasn't any money to be made in anti-vaxxing, no. I think, was part of it. Um, and oh, some of those homeopathic remedies well, were making a bit of cash. You know, and I mean, there's... there's it, um, it was. I think one of the, one of the, the issues from the very beginning with the, with the climate change thing 
Um, I mean, the, the anti-vaxxing thing was, is, was based on actual real science that was then debunked, but it was too late. Um, but I think what happened with climate change is the scientists were coming out, and they were, they were used to, after, I think, you know, smoking um, becoming obviously problematic and so on and so forth, they were, they were used to, I think, coming out and saying, oh, this is a problem. And then the world would go, oh, OK, well, we'll have a conversation about it, and then we'll do something about it. And they came out and said, oh... I'm not sure why this is my scientist voice, but it's, oh, climate change is really bad. Um, and everybody it sounds would... like an emasculated scientist yeah. right there. And, and, and then everybody was going to go, oh, climate change. But there was a lot of... There was an enormous amount of money to be lost. Um, um, and you saw, we saw how the smoking lobby responded and, and how they're still responding today and still losing. Um, but... Uh, Climate change was far more complex and required really classic green solutions um, that it fell into that it fell into the maelstrom of of, of corporate lobby media hoo-ha. But but if you really want to look, and this is a really depressing analogy, I'm afraid. If you really want to look at how evidence, facts, uh, incontrovertible evidence can have absolutely no effect on people at all, look at the Americans and their attitudes to guns. And the... Uh, that is just... And Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> the two are very heavily related. Um, but the point I about that is... I more intimate. Yeah. That was terrible thing to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to retract that. I'm going to retract that. That was an awful thing to say. <laughs> uh, I um, it, The problem is that when you get this heightened sense of emotion and when people have a kind of inchoate fear, and that's the problem with creating a kind of non-specific fear of climate change, is you can unleash the very opposite of what you want. Um, because I think it is an awful sense of inchoate fear that is behind the idea that if I have a gun, I'm safer. All the facts say the exact opposite. But evidence makes no difference. Go dog. Yeah, look, there was a um, there was a cartoon that you've probably seen, and I I wish I had drawn it um, of a, a man standing up at a climate change conference and saying, "But if we do all these things, you know, if we if we end world hunger and if we do all the things we have to do to fix climate change and 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 stop pollution um, and get fresh water to the developing world, and we do all of these wonderful things, we'll have all if, and climate change isn't real. We'll have all done it for no reason at all." You know, it would have been a total waste of time. So I think that's, that's part of the argument for me is everything... I mean, people were still wanting to do all this stuff anyway, even before we, we realised climate change. And coal, whether climate change um, turned up or not, coal was, was still a bad idea and still is, has been superseded by, by wind and stuff, you know. I think I, what you brought up there, though, is really important, is the mess how important the messenger... Is and, and the reality is that no conservatives are going to listen to environmentalists. They never have, they never will. And yet that's who they've been hearing from. And Kate Blanchett. Mm. And, you know, and, and sort of lefty hippie scientists. So we're not going to get them with those kind of messengers. If we can get the business people talking to them or firefighters or people like that, we might have a chance. But if we continue, you know, if we expect that somehow they're going to all of a sudden start listening to environmentalists, it will never happen. I keep waiting for the insurance industry to come out and say, for Christ's sake, people! You know, we're going to lose... We, we can't be paying out anymore. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. I know the wine industry, for example, is already speaking up about climate change. Almost all of agriculture is talking about it. OK, if the wine industry... If it'll be the beer industry next and then... 
then it's all really over. Need we're, to do we're listening. Yeah, then we really will have to do something. <laughs> Booze will set us yeah, free. Yeah, yeah. Australians will be up in arms about that. Yes. So we spoke a bit about emotion before, and one highly emotive topic that ties into this that in South Australia we've been talking about lately is nuclear. Um, and that is another uh, area where facts and emotions get pretty tightly enmeshed. Um, where do you guys... How would you guys sell nuclear? Were you so inclined? Which I know you're not, dog. Fukushima. <laughs> yeah, yeah Fukushima is the big... Um, it's a weird phrase to use, but I can't think of another one. Fly in the ointment of the nuclear Chernobyl. power industry and Chernobyl. Fukushima is slightly more than Chernobyl, Three mile I think. Island. Yeah. Fukushima, from a communications point of view, is the one that is absolutely front and centre. Because it's Japan, you expect them to do things right. right. And even when they do things right, stuff goes wrong. Yeah. Russians, you kind of go, yeah, it's Yeah, Russia. well, they were always going to stuff it up. It's exactly right. Um, and even Three Mile Island, you know, the Simpsons put paid to the idea that the Americans know anything about running nuclear power plants. <laughs> Um, but Fukushima really did scare people. Um, it's difficult, though, because if you were, going to, you were going to sell it, what you would talk about is the fact that it is, in fact, a carbon-neutral energy source. It's not. It's not. Oh, well, that's how they sell it. So that's what's... All right, said. well, now that the audience is getting antsy, should we, should we throw to them for some questions? <laughs> how do you guys feel about that? Can we, can we oh. take some questions from the audience? Uh, logistically, I think there are a couple of microphones that are going to do the rounds, so hands up. I think it's not just a matter of fear. Uh, it's a specific thing called narrative bias, that people create a story in their heads to stitch together the experiences of their life. If you want to get across to people, you have to actually hook into their narrative. It's, it's a comment more than a question. That was a comment, sir, but thank you. <laughs> You're right. Hi, uh, my name's El. I'm a GP and part of a doctor's group that's really worried about climate change. And some of my colleagues include people like Fiona Stanley and Gus Nossel and our current national um, chair is the former president of the College of Surgeons, Kingsley Faulkner. And I'm internally arguing that we should be doing the sorts of things we're talking about, you know, in terms of creating a public profile and do online media communication rather than press releases and articles. What do you think about that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> press, releases, <laughs> press releases are... Honestly, a complete waste of time. Um, but you get up some good Facebook share graphics and you're somewhere. But if you're going to do that sort of thing, if you're going to do online comms, don't make it some boring, worthy thing that will just get shared amongst like-minded people around and around. You'll all say, oh, that's really good, whatever. If you're going to sort of... You want to speak outside that, if you want to get it shared outside that, it means being a little bit brave and interesting and creative with your messaging. And for God's sake, don't do anything where it's just say yes or just say no or just say up your bum, okay? <laughs> up your bum? Where did that come from? I don't know. I'm just so sick of this tell people what to say crap. Sorry, here we go. Hi. As a government communicator myself, I'm interested in your thoughts about um, lessons from behavioural economics where loss aversion is probably a more powerful motivator than gaining a benefit somewhere downstream. Yeah, we are twice as motivated by what we'll lose than what we'll gain. So that's why I said people, you know, ha you know, hammer on about negative advertising. We use it in election campaigns because it works. It's a stronger motion. And it, we, the, the old management axiom give people, what is it, one criticism for every five compliments. And the reason for that is because we hold negative information longer, we store it, we remember it. So definitely um, loss is very, very important. And I also think it's got something to do with being very prosperous and very wealthy because um, I often think that 
poor communities, in a weird kind of way, have more hope than rich communities because they've got little to lose and a lot to gain. But rich communities are always driven by fear and anxiety because they have a little to gain and a lot to lose. And we have to think about that. We're asking people to change their behaviour in quite fundamental ways. And people are tired already. The workplace has ramped up. Expectations on every level in society have become so onerous that we are flooding our waterways, forget about with pollutants, with um, antidepressants, anti-anxiety me medications, statins, blood pressure drugs. I mean, we've got the uh, most chemically weird um, our fish must be so relaxed um it, it's incredible with permanent erections and so the problem with that is and a permanent oh, reaction on, <laughs> i didn't mention viagra but i suppose i could have um but i think i think the problem with that is as soon as you say to people now we want to make your life a little more onerous a little bit harder and you're going to have to put more effort in like grow your own vegetables for godness sake it's never going to work People are just going, you're kidding me, give me the takeaway menu now. So George Megalogenes has actually done some really interesting work on that where he's mapped out uh, our immigrant intake level and connected it to economic boom times. And it's like the more welcoming and generous we are, the better off the economy goes. But once we get a little bit fat and happy, we freak out about what we own and we want to stop people coming in and taking that away. We're That's more right. likely to vo vote conservative when we have something we want to conserve. Yeah. So, which is literally why the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to vote Conservative. This whole thing is a massive downer, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're going to have to end this whole thing with Dog just going, we're all, all going to die. To die. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... Which is just as well, because at least then we stop using the world's resources. <laughs> They're making me stand up. Had that hurt? Um, I'm just, you know, you were talking about the kinds of people that deliver the message, like um, nobody listens to environmentalists and all the rest of it. I'm just thinking back to um, the Iraq War. I mean, hundreds of thousands of Australians went on the streets, and they weren't, um, you know, they were mums and dads and their kids, and they got called a rabble. Um, I'm interested in the unequal power of who's saying who is what. So, I mean, you can get the ordinary people up, but if the politicians have more power in their message than we do, how do you fight that? Yeah, so who gets to say freedom fighter and who gets to say terrorist? Yeah, mm. well, look, the great thing, the great thing about... There's a lot that, about the internet that's pretty fucked, but some, one of the really great things about it is it's levelled the playing field a little bit, where it used to be, you know, you've got a bigger voice if you owned a newspaper. <coughs> Sorry, Murdoch. Um... <laughs> But thanks to the social media now, more people have voices. Some of them shouldn't have voices, but at least it means there are different ways of getting your message out that's not controlled necessarily by those with the biggest pockets. And a really inspiring example of that are the women in India becoming so vocal about the horrendous rapes that are going on in those in that country. I don't think there's anything necessarily particularly new about rape in India. What is new is that everyone, even the most, um, you know, poor and, and uh, all of that have smartphones and those women are for the first time in history able to have unmediated access to the public conversation and they are getting on the streets and they are holding their law enforcers and their justice system and their politicians to account. So it can be done. I reckon the big question there, though, isn't it, like, how do you change what people Google? So people who don't believe in climate change are always going to be Googling climate change is crap and getting back the answers they were already looking for. So You actually won't get them anyway. No, so, don't, so don't worry yeah. about them. Yep. Ignore them. 
All right, we're writing them off. Good, eh? We're all going to die. <laughs> yeah. Go, Doug. Well, I mean, th th again, that comes back to... Um, even if we were to convince people 100%, everybody who isn't a politician, that climate change is bad and we're all going to die, um, direct action is still our national response to climate change. So, I mean, coming back to your question, yeah, 100,000 people marched in the streets and the Iraq war went ahead and those 100,000 people turned out to be right and John Howard turned out to be wrong. And so what? We're, we're trying to get back in there again now. What are we putting boots on the ground in Syria or something? I don't know, I can't keep up. But it's... Um, it's, it's that thing where, I mean, right now, as we're all sitting here in, in this lovely tent um, on, on Nauru, people uh, are, are sitting in, in not-so-lovely tents filled with mould and they're suffering madness and, and, and exhaustion and illness and sexual abuse. And w even though the government won't tell us about it, um, we, we still know because people are doing the right things and because of social media, but we're still, it's still happening. And we're, we're still not changing it. Um, I, coming back to the doctors, one of the... Th uh, which isn't the climate change issue, but it's the issue of, of uh, the Lady Salento Hospital in Brisbane where the doctors refuse to... Yes. You know, and so that's, that's doctoring. Um, you know, that's amazing stuff. Um, and, and church leaders who are, who are training now to um, civilly disobeyed um, and, and stop... <laughs> And stop and stop Serco taking the babies back to Nauru, all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of people who are doing a lot of really wonderful things, um, but it's fundamentally structured in a way that it's just never going to be fair or work out or be reasonable. And that's what we need to change. But and I don't think, and with all due respect, the Labor Party aren't the people to do that. And, and even <laughs> Captain Turtleneck with no socks, uh, <laughs> Richard Di Natale on the front page of the GQ, <laughs> uh, who's, oh, come on, he's a lovely bloke, but, but he's, I'm not even sure he's the guy to do it. But I think that that is still no reason for us to stop doing what we can. That no, I think actually, in the end, politicians are not going to solve this problem in the long run. Um, it is about people, every single person doing what they can. Um, and it always feels hopeless and you always feel like it's pathetic and why are you bothering because it's too hard and no one's listening. But too bad. Just do it anyway. And I, look, there are things that are being done. I know... Um in Queensland, they've just reversed the... Um, when Newman came in, he, of course, said people can clear as well as many trees as they want, pretty much, and that's now being reversed back because the, the amount of damage that got done in, in the space of three years is astronomical. So governments can yes. do stuff and, and they need to be pressured to do stuff as well because governments tend to do stuff when there's votes in it. I mean, the Franklin Dam, that's everybody put no dams on their uh, ballot paper and in the end there was no dams. So we have models of success, but they tend to be very specific and concrete. But it does mean if you're running environmental campaigns, work out where the marginal seats are mm. and make it a campaign in that marginal seat because you will get politicians to listen to you if they think it's more likely to get them to hold that seat or not. Well, this is more uplifting, this people power, so much better than we're all going to die. We'll still die, though. It's just we're a question of when. <laughs> How important is it for us to use uh, correct facts and terminology, even if uh, the listening is not very good, uh, and also to make sure that we engage people 
Uh, I'm referring specifically, Dog, to your cartoon, and I don't know if you deliberately were trying to push buttons, but yeah, I, got to the, I got to the first cell and it talked about the polar bears uh, killing penguins, and I thought, ah, there aren't penguins in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> So it was actually two days later that I sat down and read the rest of your script, which is, you know, spot on. But were you trying to wind me up or were you using... Yeah, her were personally. You, were you using your strategy of making things up to actually just engage people? This is... I, this is a recurring nightmare that I have. <laughs> where, where I, I wake up screaming in a cold sweat because a Guardian comments thread has come to life and, and it's, it's after me. Uh, but I can't move, I can't get away. Um, yes is the answer to your question there. Do you reckon she gets a follow-up on that? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, up there. Um, I was thinking back to when ozone layer was a problem, living in Australia. It was the 80s. How good yeah, was well, that? Living, living here for about 25 years, and I remember everyone said, we're all going to die because there's this massive hole in the ozone layer. And then they had that Montreal Accord, and we banned Freon products and all that sort of stuff. So I put it to you two advertising people. You're the same people that put happy faces on candies in Australia that said, contains glucose with a happy smile, and you made everyone think that that was a good thing. So... Did you do that, Dee? Because I didn't. I'm pretty sure one of you... <laughs> so I'm just saying, why can't you do the same thing that we... We, we, we don't buy aerosols with Freons in them anymore. We've got it out of our air conditioning system. Because that wasn't an advertising campaign. That was exactly what I was talking about in the beginning. That was actually a, a government... Governments getting together and saying to manufacturers, it almost nothing to do with the public and nothing to do with messaging, it had governments saying, this is a problem, it's easy to fix, we just change from um, hydrocarbons to... Uh, from fluorocarbons to hydrocarbons, that's the one, um, and we, we make sure that our um, protocols around regassing fridges and things like that are much stricter than they were, and that's what happened. And it... Helped. I believe there is still a hole Didn't in the ozone. did we send it to New Zealand? Isn't, I always yeah. just thought we sent it to New Zealand, that whole yeah. hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole hole, we just sent it south. But what I'm saying is it wasn't actually anything to do with the public or messaging. It was actually governments getting together and doing something about it. Governments doing stuff. Yeah. Those were the good old days. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think we all accept that uh, politicians are beholden to big business... I don't understand how big business actually makes them beholden. Donations. Money. 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 All comes down to money. If you look at the NR, say, National Rifle... to the party or, or to the individual? It can be both. Uh, and look, I don't think it's fair to say that all politicians are beholden to big business. I know plenty of politicians who are driven by, you know, whether you agree with their policies or not, are actually there because they actually believe that they're going to make a difference and do something well. I think it, it's easy to sort of be cynical and just you know, cast them all, you know, under the sort of the one big rock. They're not like that. Um, but if you look at, say, the National Rifle Association in America, their power is, you know, it is only linked to their massive donations. You know, they shouldn't have the power they have. And over here, you can... Um, I think the largest advertiser in the 2013 election after Labor and Liberal was the National Retailers Association. 
So these people, you know, even if they're not donating money, they're usually running campaigns that tend to help the Conservative government as well. So, so they're actually helping them get elected. You always hear, oh, Labor's got unions. What the unions spend in an election campaign compared to what big business spends is not the same. And if, and you, want to, if you want to see uh, who, who, they go and, who the politicians, usually the ministers, go and get a job with um, after, they've, after they've finished, being, being the health minister, going and, and getting a job in a pharmaceutical company or that sort of... Or on, actually on the board, you know, of the pharmaceutical company, which, which, is, which I think should be... Well, I think lots of things should be banned, but that's one of them. Greg Combe's working for AGL, I believe. And then there's Clive Palmer, who sort of brings the two sides together quite neatly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, over there. Thanks. Um, look, I'm a big fan of First Dog's uh, civil dis disobedience penguin. So uh, I just wondered what your views were. When, when you read people like Naomi Klein and Arundhati Roy, really I think what they're saying is enough of symbolism, enough of, sure, we go out and we demonstrate in huge numbers, but it isn't listened to, it's seen as symbolic. And it seems to me that they both argue that actually bad laws need to be broken and that we need to take action which actually forces companies to close, forces the issue on a whole range of people and that essentially it's about system change, not climate change. Well, yes, that's a... Uh, I'll take that as a comment, but, um, I mean, it, you know, I... I mean, Brenda's job... Well, I mean, it's a cartoon penguin, um, but I, I, I completely agree. I, don't, I mean, I don't think there's one... I mean, I was pretty depressing before, and Jane then lifted it all up by saying, we, we just keep going and we just keep doing the things... Until we die. And, and yeah, and we, and we keep <laughs> joining the community organisations. That's a secret life, actually. Yeah, and, and, you, and you just have... That's, I mean, we don't have any choice. And for me, it's easy because I'm white and, and male and heterosexual, and I'm a cartoonist, so my life is pretty much perfect. But, um, <laughs> you know, even I have difficult days. But we just keep going. And, I mean, these little canvas bags are one of the greatest joys in my life at the moment because it's got the penguin and that, that stupid penguin makes me, makes me quite happy. And if it helps people to think about that stuff, then, then that's great. But I, I think you're absolutely right. Well, but we uh, have examples of it. We have to do so it. many things. We have examples of it and pretty soon we're going to have to break laws if we want to demonstrate at all against uh, uh, climate change because um, I certainly know New South Wales is in the midst of bringing in anti-demonstration legislation around uh, climate, you know, uh, fossil fuel projects and things like that. And so I think people are going to have to say, well, sod it, you know, I will face the possibility of going to jail. We've seen doctors and teachers and social workers on Manus and Nauru decide to face the, the, the threat of being jailed for speaking up about conditions in uh, those offshore detention camps and good for them. As far as I know so far, none of them have actually been jailed. Um, I think also we've seen, and, and there was the movement destroying the joint, which which um, at first was a bit of a giggle and then when uh, Alan Jones talked about how Julia Gillard's father had died of shame, there was a concerted campaign by a lot of very dedicated people, not me, I just sent a tweet, um, <laughs> but a lot of very dedicated people to get advertisers to leave Jones's program. And the station, I think it's calculated, his radio station lost $3 million off the bottom line that Year and Alan Jones lost his Mercedes. Um, 
So effects like that actually do make people think twice. So, yeah, we keep doing those things. We know that these people are motivated by money. So if we can hurt them... Like, doing, doing a, a... You think a protest wouldn't hurt, but we know for the first time ever there's actually a dollar value associated with the ethical behaviour of a company. So, and that's changed. That's something that never used to happen because companies could act like, you know, corporate bastards behind closed doors and we didn't know about it. But thanks to the internet, that's out there. But also, if you can find a way to hurt them immediately with money, so go for their sponsors, uh, you know, or, or if they're... Uh, say, if it's a company that's using palm oil, you know, in, in their products... Boycott the product. You know, that, that's what's going to make them listen. When their, dollar, when their bottom line starts to hurt, all of a sudden, they'll be all ears. Do you, reckon, do you guys reckon there's any risk of, like a, like, a compassion fatigue with that stuff, though? Like, sometimes I feel so swamped by things I'm meant to be interested in that I just give up on it all. I think that's the climate change. It's, been, it's almost like you just go, oh, God, it's still going, you know. And even the people who are, you know, like us, you just think, oh, God, how can we still be having this conversation? And it's tiring even for the people who are passionate about it, yeah. I don't think I can possibly sign another petition. I'm just constantly being asked to sign petitions for just about absolutely everything. Yeah, I, I'm not a, a big petition signer, but I, I will. I retweet enthusiastically, um, Me too. and so I'm doing my bit. And I think it's. I mean, I think all of those things. I think all of those things are important, and we do have to keep going. But we also really need to. To, oh, I'm telling you what to do now. Uh, and what I think is important is um, remembering that this is structural stuff, um, and that. Alan, Alan Mercedes, Alan Jones, <laughs> losing losing his Mercedes is hilarious and fantastic, um, and the, the, you know the, the the condition that some people live in in the developing world is is still completely atrocious, and those are not competing um, competing issues, but it is it's a structural thing, and we need fundamental change. Um, but I agree with you, and I think it's great to see people working for fundamental change, but fundamental change is long, slow and oh, hard. Absolutely. So we need to do both incremental change and fundamental change. And getting rid of Alan Jones. And, avoid, yeah. and avoid slacktivism. And I think that, that causes like this attract this sort of, you know, <laughs> I love the uh, share if you hate cancer. I refuse to share those, and I, t I usually put I love cancer because it's so fucking stupid. Um, so, so be really careful when you've got sort of campaigns and things going that they actually have a real purpose, not, you know, a light can mean sweet F.A. So, you know, and, and what the problem with that is that people think they're doing something so then they're less likely to actually do anything meaningful. So I think we need to be careful about what we put out there as well and what we ask of people, that it's actually real and concrete. There's another slight side to that, which is I used to work for an MP and I was, this is 20 years ago, I was blown away by the software they had. So I looked myself up, I looked up everyone I know, I know it's probably a massive breach of the Privacy Act, but I looked myself... And she works for Murdoch. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. So I looked myself up and it said that I was a swinging voter who could be swayed by three face-to-face -face visits. And I was just blown away because I, was, I had not yet voted in an election. And so you delve into the details, they had every petition I'd ever signed. And they'd made a judgment on me by that. So, you know, all those things that you're clicking, I, I don't know if this is still the case, but they're probably going to <laughs> yes, it software. is. <laughs> there you go. Some big software bank somewhere. But the good side of that is, in a way, that's like a mini ongoing referendum on some issues. I'm not sure there's a good side to that. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm not going to bring it back well, to Well, what it does say is keep clicking away happily. Because yeah. you're sending a message with every single one. And I would suggest stop clicking immediately and never click again. And use Tor, Tor not you, Tor browser. <laughs> Brandis probably already knows everything. <laughs> Another question down there. Um, yeah, just going back to an earlier question, uh, if the scientific community can uh, um, lobby the government uh, with the mandate of the people behind them to uh, get rid of the ozone uh, CFCs, um, then why don't we have a uh, coming together of, the, of people and the scientific community to uh, prevent people putting dangerous carbon pollutants into our atmosphere and plastics and more carbon into our waters and impose perhaps a financial penalty on the people who are doing it. Perhaps we could call it a carbon a tax. A carbon tax. Good idea. Uh, I, th I think, I mean, I think we've, we, we canvassed that before, is fluorocarbons and hydrofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorofluorof
people's opinion on things because it's sometimes a pretty wussy way out. People's opinions matter, but you also want leadership. And I think it was Henry Ford who said, if I'd asked the people what they'd wanted, they would have said faster horses. You know, at some point you actually want the government to stand up and show a bit of um, innovation and initiative because they're privy to things that maybe the general public aren't. And it would be great if they got up and said, hey, there's this thing and, and this is the way it's going to happen and it'll be great for all of us. And I think people would be excited about that. But instead, they often put it out to the public, like, let's have a plebiscite on marriage equality. For fuck's sake. We need you an know, ideas it's boom. It's a wussy way out. We need an ideas boom. Well, we totally do. You're so innovative. Yeah. <laughs> I, you're absolutely right. And the problem with um, governments basically ramping up fear is that it's... It's getting out of control, and that's what we're seeing in the American presidential race, that the Republican Party has been sending messages about, uh, particularly to um, working-class white people, um, about how they're being done down and how, you know, the hierarchy's inverted and they're the losers, and they've ramped up fear of the other to such an extent that now the Republican Party is unable to control it. I think we've seen this happen a couple of times before in history, and that is the problem with ramping fear up to screaming proportions. And we have some examples of it here as well. I mean, I think the fact that Australia is blithely pretty much running offshore concentration camps... And that's what they are. Look up at the dictionary definition. They are concentration camps. And we're not really worried about it. 70% of us think it's a good thing. Is all about the ramping up of fear. Which Then the fear is the enemy of compassion. The more frightened we are, the less compassionate we are. Guys, I, I think we're just about out of time. I'm waiting for someone to make eyes. All right, one more question up here. We had a carbon price for two years, and under that carbon price, our, emission went, our emissions went down more in the second year than in the first year. My question is, why wasn't that more widely disseminated? Tony Abbott. I mean, that is literally the answer, and then that's a, you know, I should, I should make it a three-word slogan, Tony bloody Abbott, because he didn't want it to be out there. He didn't want a price on carbon because he thinks climate change is crap. And I know you're going to say, but, but it's a fact. It came down. Why isn't it out there? Because facts don't work. They don't cut through and they should, but they don't. What's going to happen, Doug? Look, uh, one of the things that, um, that I've been working on for quite some time now is wind turbine syndrome. Um, which is another way Alfred, of, of exploiting fear. Maurice, Morris Newman's great problem, isn't yes, it? Yes, exactly. Magically goes away when you give people money to have it. I, it, think, it does. I, I think the wind turbines blow his comb over up. Well, That's my theory. So researchers from Sydney University found that there are 244 real symptoms of wind turbine syndrome um, as found on the internet, which are quoted, um, and I've, I've turned them into a diagnostic tool uh, here, uh, which I thought I'd show you. Um, uh, which is also in the middle of the calendar. But what I'm going to do with this is give it to, um, to my friend over here who asked the question about the penguins. Uh, but just to let you know, I mean, fear is, is, is alive. These are all... Like, does anybody have a, a peacock with relationship problems? Uh, because, well, you're going to die, I'm sorry, sir. Um, but anyway, thank you for, for being afraid. Thank you so much for coming.